For just a moment, I want to single out all the moms that are listening. When you were pregnant for the very first time, expecting your very first baby, did you read the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, or any other type of parenting book? Most of us did, right? Because we didn't want to screw this up. This is a big responsibility being a parent. Now, in every single one of those books, there is an extremely important chapter that is missing. That chapter is what we're talking about today. It is Seven Figures, Smart Money Strategies for Women. I am Sandy Waters. You are a very busy person, so I thank you for listening to the podcast. Big moments in life, like starting a family, is so exciting, but there is so much to know. So each week we sit down with people who have been there, who have gone through it, financially savvy people that will give us lessons, the lessons that they've learned along the way. And the goal is for you to walk away with little nuggets of financial knowledge that you can put into action today that will make you feel more comfortable and in control of your financial future. Thank you to our sponsors, Family First Credit Union, big supporters of financial education. Okay, the big chapter that somehow the authors of all these parenting books missed, the chapter about money. We cash in with our expert, Susan Beecham, a personal finance expert specializing in financial literacy for children, founder of the company Money Savvy Generation and the Money Savvy Pig, author of several books. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I'm really excited about this because, my gosh, here I'm trying to form a, a good uh, description of who you are, what you do, your history, and it's a page long. I mean... You have done everything and anything. Your resume is just fantastic. What? How do you describe yourself? What What are the high points of your career that you really love to brag about? I think the high point of my career are when I was finally able to pivot into doing something that I was truly passionate about. Mm. So 18 years in financial services, it was wonderfully kind to me. Um, I was completely incapable of contributing when I graduated from college. And so there were all these wonderful people who had patience with me and, and taught me what I needed to learn so that I could do things like manage and be productive and understand people. You know, a lot of people, including my clients, had a lot of patience with me. And it gave me the opportunity to really observe people in money situations. 18 years of that, and then the opportunity to pivot into starting Money Savvy Generation was because Bank of America bought, uh, I'm sorry, Nations Bank bought Bank of America, and I was a senior vice president, and what I found out on that wonderful day was that I had an 18-month severance package trigger in my con- in my contract, and mm-hmm. so I was offered a choice, do you want to stay? Um, and we'll give you one and a half times your salary, or do you want to leave? And Michael and I, that's my husband, we we did what I think most couples with two very young children would do. You know, we, we looked at one side, wow, we could yeah. cover college right now with this decision, or we could grab time back. Uh, Michael was a, a partner with Anderson Consulting and on the road constantly. Ah, yeah. And so... We chose time. I think you're right. A lot of couples have that discussion one point or another in their life where my husband and I do it all the time where we're sitting out in the back patio and Mm -hmm. we're like, okay, 
we could be he loves and I know you're from Chicago, right? You lived in yeah, spent some born time. And raised. He loves, loves Chicago. That was always mm-hmm. his goal to end up in Chicago. And there have been opportunities that he has passed by because I have been born and raised in Rochester. My mother's walking mm-hmm. distance from me. I have kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel guilty, like, gosh, did I squash all your dreams? And he was like, you know what? It's it's more of this, just being a family. It's not about mm-hmm. what how much we could have been making or how much we could have had. It's just, you're right, time. Yeah, because um, I'm thinking, first of all, tell him you did him a favor because the state of Illinois is in the toilet mm. uh, and uh, property taxes, and you saw the, yes. the crimes. I love Chicago. I feel about Chicago. I think the way you feel about Rochester. I grew up on the southwest side. My grandmother's eight sisters were within blocks of us. Mm-hmm. And she lived upstairs in an apartment in an A-frame that I grew up in. So I get where you're coming from. And so I think in hindsight, that was probably a solid decision. Nonetheless, I love Chicago. I'm, I'm sad to have left Chicago because I have an older daughter there uh, still. My younger is here in South Carolina. You did not pray enough when she was born. You're supposed to brainwash her to stay close to you. <laughs> I know. I know. There, how, I know. how old is she, your older daughter? Um, Allison is 26. Oh, you still and... got time. You, get, you still have time to bring her back. <laughs> I'll, I'll be rooting for you. <laughs> Too funny. Too funny. But, you know, it is a... It, if, I, if Michael and I look back on the decision we made almost 19 years ago to mm-hmm. do this, mm-hmm. yes, just like you, we could have made a lot more money staying in corporate America. But at a certain point, I'm 60 now. I understand that time is finite. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you only get one shot at today, this moment, this conversation we're having. This is going to march forward, and if you don't make the most of it, if you don't live life now, you just kind of can't guarantee that you're going to be able to live it yeah. the way you want to live it later. And, um, you know, in corporate America, I was seeing all these women show up. Because I was a woman in financial services, I would always get assigned the female side of the client. Mm-hmm. It was hard for men to sit at the table with women. It was so much easier for them to sit at the table with men. And many times it was uh, the the husband that would come to the meetings, not the wives. And that made me sad, uh, especially when I sat across the table from one of my clients who was about 82, 83 years old, and he explained to me how he'd set up his will so that when he died, his children could take over for his wife. And I said, why would you do that to her? Uh, But so... It was, you know, we were, there were epiphanies like that, Sandy, in my career, sitting across the table from women, seeing them come to me at a point of crisis in their life when they were widowed or divorced and they were learning the language of money. And it's not like they weren't smart. They were incredibly yeah. capable, smart women. It's just they had not, this hadn't been part of the equation. And so the girls were very little. They were uh, preschool and first grade when I made the decision to pivot and teach very young children about money. But actually, my original decision was, <laughs> you have to remember, I grew up in Chicago. Okay. So I grew up in the glow of the afterglow of Oprah. 
Ah, uh-huh. and okay. she, you know, every, you could do anything. Yes. After watching Oprah for a couple of years, you were like, yeah, you had swagger. And so I decided if I could teach prostitutes how to manage money, I could get them out of the oh business. Oh, my God, center. you are a riot. <laughs> <laughs> well, they always say narrow focus, broader results. So that that's a good niche. <laughs> that's right. And, you know. Aww, uh, uh, how that, nice of you to save <laughs> That was that was my vision, and then I I thought about it for a while. And I went, damn. The problem with this is I don't know any prostitutes, <laughs> and and I really worked hard on it. You know, I was thinking over over on Cicero. I think there's some just oh, before you God. get to the. So I was really working on it. I was genuinely trying to create that audience, and then I realized I couldn't, and I immediately. Thought, but wait a minute! I do know a vulnerable audience. Uh-huh. It's first graders. It's very young children because my daughter was in first grade, and and I was thinking she's learning Latin, and she's learning how to read, and she's learning how to translate a you know an abstract concept like math into a concrete lesson that she can wrap her head around. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't we teach kids the yeah. language of money? And very quickly, I got my answer because it's the third rail, isn't it? I mean, I got notes from parents when I started to do this, and I was a parent. So I kind of went in under that umbrella of protection, the mother of a first grader, rather than just some outlier who was coming into classrooms yeah. trying to teach financial education. And I got notes. I'll never forget some of the notes that I got in thick black flare, and it was written on the a note back to me after I had taught a couple of money classes and it was, what are you going to teach my kids about (gasps) money? Isn't that my job? And, you know, I had a great conversation with the parent and I said, you're right. It is yours. You tell me right now what you're doing. And she said, yeah, it was silent. Uh. Well, you know, they're only in first grade. Don't we have time? Uh, You have a question here. Starts at age 13. Money habits are, formed by age 13 that guess what age seven according to cambridge age seven money habits are set by age oh set by age seven oh it the old research absolutely i've quoted the old research saying that uh we had till 13 and then cambridge university dr whitehead david i think it was david whitehead uh came out with research that indicated that, in fact, children's money habits are set long before. We're oh, beginning man. to change habits. So that's it, the problem then, because I know you written about it a lot. We often wait too long then, you're saying. We're changing a habit that's already been set. in place. Yeah, that's set. Correct. Instead, we should start early so we can actually mold that habit. Yes. What we don't realize is we have a window of opportunity with our children to teach them all kinds of things, to set the foundation that will make it easier for them to hear our voice and act independently when we're not in the room, when we're not in their life, in a way that we would that we would have guided them mm-hmm. towards. Mm-hmm. But we all miss that opportunity because we think they're too young or we think they're not capable or we think they're not sophisticated enough when, in fact, Our children are the most accepting of our voices in the early years because, let's face it, we're brilliant in early elementary. We, you know, besides their, besides us, their teacher, those are the three people in their lives that they want to please. Show me a 16-year-old that's 
truly anxious to please. <laughs> Developmentally, they're pushing away from us, and they yeah. should be. Yeah, that's Developmentally, true. They're, they're taking risk, and they should be. So what you want is the same foundation for money that you build for everything, for um, safe sex. All the research on sex indicates that if you do give early education, children are less likely to be tripped up promiscuous. And you know, those are the two most important conversations you should be having with your kids. And those are the two extremely awkward, stressful conversations a lot of parents see having with your children. Sure. Because money and sex have lots of emotional baggage. Yeah. Our own. It's always been interesting to me over the years. I've talked to many, many, many reporters about this topic. And at the end of most interviews, they say to me, they tell me their story, their money story, and how they had a sibling who was really a mess, or they had a parent who was really a mess when it came to money. And all of this comes out, and all of this is in front of and needs to be overcome before you get to your child. Oh, that's I mean, interesting. That's... You're right. We, ne- You mm-hmm. are right. It, it is all emotional. We think of it as an emotional conversation instead of just factual. It should be factual. Right. Absolutely. The books that we've written are because parents come to me after I present and they say, have you written a book? And for years I would go, no, I haven't. <laughs> Um, just do what I told you to do here today, and we're in good shape. Mm-hmm. So there was this pounding the table for a book, even in today's world, Sandy, where you can Google anything. Parents wanted something concrete. I still find that interesting about human behavior. People want to translate the abstract into the concrete. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's- you probably can agree being a parent. I know I, <laughs> when I... uh you know, saw your book, I told my teenager, okay, this is a book we're going to read. It's in one nice, neat package. I've been saying all this stuff all along, but who knows if what I'm saying is really resonating with you. Maybe another source will, Mm -hmm. you know, hammer it home. And there's another golden nugget that you just hit on. Use other people to reinforce the money messages that you want your child to hear especially if you're starting in middle school, junior high, or high school. My grandmother lived upstairs because my grandfather died very young, and everything my grandmother said to me mm-hmm. was brilliant. It could be identical to what my parents said, but when my parents said it, uh, I didn't yeah. hear it. But grandma said it. Even the food in our refrigerators could be identical, but hers tasted better. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother was the one who she would make. She, my mother would make the weekday meals, and my grandmother would make the weekend meals. And we would have the midday. And at that table, I would, I would learn a lot about money. And my grandmother would talk about the Depression. And one day she took me out in her car and she drove me around the neighborhood and pointed to homes and said, um, during the Depression, these homes went for under $10,000. And that really hit, hit me. I went, you're kidding. She said, no, I'm not. And many of my friends lost their homes because of the depression, but it was an opportunity here, Susan, and I wasn't ready for it, but I want you to be ready for it. I want you to save. I want you to put money aside. This was the woman who, uh, in law school, when I would come home to visit, would give me, Sandy, a bag of change, not in a Ziploc, Mm -hmm. mind you, 
but in a washed out bread bag. And it would be maybe $30 of what she called car fare. Mm-hmm. And I would live like a queen on that change because I was living outside the home at that point and working and, and going to school. She taught me the power how of what I say all the time, nickels and dimes make quarters. She taught me the power of saving so that when opportunity knocks, you're ready. So using me or the book or a grandparent, grandparents tell me they want to do a better job with their grandchildren than yeah. they did with their children. Mm-hmm. They are chomping at the bit to help get this message across. And parents, for their own set of emotional reasons, are holding grandparents back. Those two need to get together. Okay. And they need to understand that the people on the bench will, if you sit down and talk to them about it, will Mm -hmm. help you reinforce that message with your children. Now that you bring up messages, and there are so many messages surrounding our kids when it comes to social media. Mm. Let's go this angle because... It is a battle. We're fighting against everything that they're seeing, the perfect lives, the perfect world. I mean, we were just talking about it last week, this YouTube trend where it's the no-budget shopping challenge. So here are parents sending their kids into a store and saying, you have no budget, go for it. And these videos are getting millions of views. It is the wrong message to send. So how do we fight against these messages as a parent? Um, I'm still kind of... uh reeling from what you just said uh, because I haven't seen it. Oh my gosh. Susan, I was I was like, this is a joke, right? So I'm watching the video like this can't be a mom and a dad can't be saying really there's no budget. So I call my 14 year old in the room. I'm like, what is this no budget challenge? She's like, oh yeah, that's, oh, it's so cool. Wouldn't that be so cool, mom? If you did a video with me and I just can buy whatever I want. I'm like, oh honey, this is not real life. <laughs> I don't care how much money you have. You have to have a budget. You know, um, and isn't their life a no budget to begin with? Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, couldn't a parent turn? I mean, isn't it? This is intriguing to me that this is actually something parents are trying to create when, in fact, children are raised, understandably, but are raised in an environment where there is no budget. They Every school year they go with a list Mm. to... Whatever store, Target, Walmart, whatever, to get their school supplies. There's no budget. They get everything that's on the list. They Every year there might be um, a birthday party. Every year there might be a vacation. Every year there's new clothing. Conditional allowance is so critical because parents don't understand. First of all, no budget. I just I can't even fathom why that's... Yeah. My parents are, well, see, now these parents, these adults are just seeing it as, okay, we're going to get a million views. We're going to get payday from Google. And they're not really thinking about at what expense are they doing this? Okay, they're getting their little claim to fame, but do they realize they're damaging all these young, impressionable individuals? It's Right. The cost of no budget is higher than a budget. It's crazy. It is crazy to me, Susan. What you, so as a parent where I'm pontificating constantly, hey, mm-hmm. you know, there's always a, there's a budget for everything. Every single thing we do, mom and dad have a budget and, and you have mm-hmm. a budget and there's always a budget. I almost feel like now I am this awful person that's, you know, just over and over nagging about the budget. And my fear is, and I, I wonder if other parents have this same fear where, they try to instill these values of save and budget, 
But then it's kind of like the mom who doesn't allow their kid to have candy growing up. And then the minute the kid is out of the house, they gorge on candy at any moment <laughs> they can. I don't know. Can you talk about money too much with your kids, I guess? No, you can't. Um, and so everybody should just read that sentence over and over again. No, you can't. So instead of saying no, mm. which parents find themselves in the position of because they're unwilling to hand money over to their children to manage mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. One, they don't want to hand over the control they have. Mm-hmm. They have to admit that to themselves. Two, they're afraid their children are going to waste it. Mm-hmm. What you do is you teach a child how to manage uh, money. You give them, uh, you start with goals. takes you out of the no game. Okay. So you want what? What, what is that? Is that a want or a need? So you had to differentiate between is this a want or a need because in the social media world and in advertising, they're pushing you to satisfy all your wants. If you go to my blog, there's a blog about brain hacking and there's that incredible quote by the CEO of Netflix that sleep is his primary competitor um, because he's trying to get at kids 24-7 and say, you want this, you got it. You have to step in front of that and say, okay, you want it, let's talk about how you get it. And is it a want or is it a need? Okay, it's a want, legit. Let's set a goal for it. Let's define what it is, let's label it, and let's talk about the cost of it. And then, secondly, how are you going to raise the funds? How are you going to raise the money? How are you going to earn the money? Is this a portion of your allowance if you're already in the allowance phase? Is this money you're going to set aside from something you do, like the classic, setting up a lemonade stand or some other entrepreneurial effort? Is this money you're going to set aside from uh, gifts that you get at the holiday or your own birthday? How are you going to get there? And then you as a parent do the same thing. It's very powerful when we set goals at the same time our children are Ah, setting goals. Okay, so we're doing this. It's kind of like a team effort. We have individual goals, but we're both. Okay, that's right. That's a great and idea. If, if you um, go to, to our website and you go under parent resources, there are templates there that allow you to download for free a, a goal-setting template. Okay. You draw a picture of what your want or need is. It's just easier to draw a picture than it is to write a paragraph. There's something daunting, even for adults, to write a paragraph about what their short-term goal is, something they want mm-hmm. or need one year from today, and their long-term goal something they want or need 10 years from today. You set these goals side by side. You put them on the refrigerator, maybe at the back door, and then you figure out how to keep them in the game. Now, when they're really young, before, Mm -hmm. you know, 16, before they go out and get a a part-time job if they choose to, which hopefully they do, but Mm -hmm. when they're so young, how are they earning this money? At what point? I mean, I, I feel like you are a big believer in the allowance. Allowance by itself can raise a very entitled child. And entitled sounds spoiled, but really what it is is you set your child's expectations. If you give them money, you give them pin money. If you give them $20 a month to take care of what? To take care of what? They're going to spend it on things that you're going to frown about because you haven't been clear. And when in life are we given just given money? Mm -hmm. So eventually a child feels entitled to that $20 a month. And that makes the parent feel resentful because nobody's been clear about what that money is for. And when they go and they do what they want to do, we hold them accountable. 
and then we start to pull back on the allowance. Conditional allowance is expense coverage. It's just that simple. And that contract is on our site, too, under Parent Resources, and it's a free download. Okay. And there's nothing magical about this. This is just, okay, I'm going to give you this much money, and it's going to happen on this day of the month, and it's all written down because we're making the abstract concrete, and because mainly our kids have a better memory than we do, so we do need a piece of paper to remember. (laughs) And then we're going to pick three expenses that I'm covering for you right now that you're going to manage. We're going to add up what we spend for a month, and I'm going to give it to you on this day of the month. And here are the conditions. Underneath that are the conditions for receiving that payment, kind of like conditions you sign on for when you get a paycheck. Okay. So now this is money that they earn, though, because they did household chores, or this is just okay? Okay. This is Okay, so let's say with your children, you're paying for, I'm going to just do hypothetical. They have clothing cell phone, and app. Okay. And the clothing and the apps are kind of fungible. You know, you could choose to buy the app or not choose. You could spend $100 on a top or $10. And it's only at that moment when that money becomes their money to cover expenses you've been covering. So remember, this is no additional money coming out of your budget. Okay. Instead of you taking care of these expenses, now you're just delegating it to your child so they can right. actually physically do it and have practice. Right. So when they're an right. adult, it feels natural. Correct. That's key. You've got it. You're building a muscle. You're building the strength of their money muscle. Oh my the God. I don't think any do parent does that. This is, this is no. brilliant, Susan. It's so simple yet so brilliant. Well, I really appreciate that because I feel like I'm standing on the top of a mountain all the time. Uh, trying to say to people, it is not complicated. It is not rock and science. It's discipline. Money is a big part of everything we do in life because it provides options for us. Every choice you make in a day. Yeah, you're right. It goes back to money, whether you want to admit it mm-hmm. or not. Yep. And it's not wrong and it's not bad and there should be no shame associated with it. It is another tool. It's like learning to say please and thank you, teaching your child to use their indoor voice. It's another one of those skills that we need to introduce and teach our children because human beings are born with one ability, the ability to learn. Do you let them so, um, make their financial mistakes? If they do want to spend frivolous, you know, they get a birthday money, $50, mm-hmm. and they want to buy something so not worth it, do you just allow them to make those mistakes now when they're young? You know the answer to this. Of course. Of course. It's really hard for me, though. I'm an overbearing, crazy Italian mom. (laughs) And I am Italian, Irish, and Polish. Can you imagine? (laughs) You're poor kids. (laughs) I mean, I want to put my hand between their face and the concrete 24-7. I know. It's hard to watch your kids fall and fail. And Okay. Right. What if you're struggling with your own personal finances, though, and and you don't Mm -hmm. have a good, you know, grasp? Uh Do you divulge that? Do you tell, hey, mommy and daddy made some awful mistakes. We are in so much debt. You know, what? how far do you go? Children can take on what we tell them if we tell them in an age-appropriate way. So... You're not going to tell a first grader, daddy just lost his job and we may not be living in this house next week. Mm -hmm. What you say Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is daddy, mommy, whichever one, 
they're not working for this company anymore. And so their paycheck that we used to use to help us do things like go on a vacation or buy clothing, it's we don't have it right now. But what we did do is we saved money because we thought this could possibly happen. Okay. If you haven't saved money, you don't say that. But you could say we've saved money. And so we're going to be okay. If you haven't saved money, you look at them if they're in first grade and you say, but we're going to be okay. And this happens. Sometimes it's even a better job. So I don't want you to worry. A lot of very young children worry about where yeah. where their pets are going to be. Um, more so than themselves, they worry about not being able to see their friends. That's the worry. If you have a middle schooler or a junior high or even a high school age child, you can say, we've taken a hit. And we didn't save six months. That's the general rule. But we didn't do that, and that was a mistake. But we're fixing that now, and here's how we're fixing it. Okay, so be candid. Because they know, Sandy, Yeah. we should talk our heads off about money. Susan, Wonderful things will happen. You are fantastic. We could talk forever. And I would love to do that. I would love, love, love to talk about it whenever you want to. I appreciate this conversation more than you appreciate it, I'm sure, because it's an opportunity to be a good steward of something I think, a conversation I believe cures social ills. Susan Beachman, SusanBeachman.com to utilize the tools and resources that she offers helping kids get smart about money. She's the best. All right, next week, we as adults sometimes need a crash course on the basics, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. So everything you need to know about loans, taking out loans, paying back loans, interest rates. If you have a specific question about this topic, let me know, or any other topic for that matter, sandy at rochesterbuzz.com. In the meantime, thank you for spending your time with us. Thank you for telling a friend and subscribing to the Seven Figures podcast. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week.